Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 225. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Matt DiBiase. Kip, such a pleasure to be here, man. And it's a real pleasure to have you here, because today we're going to be talking about a somewhat abstract cultural topic, often my favorite, what I had described to you as the wrong route of dreaming. And I'm aware that that's a rather stark title, but to explain to the audience... I've been really intrigued to notice that when we talk to kids or young people about their dreams and aspirations, it's really about what they want to be. A lot of us can recall the anecdote attributed to John Lennon, whether or not it's true, that a teacher once asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he said, happy. She replied, I don't think you understand the assignment, and he said, I don't think you understand life. I don't know how much we should believe of that as an actual event that happened, But the wisdom behind it, whoever initially conceived it, I think is valid. And that's one of the ideas behind this conversation that I want to have with you, that I think there's something lost in telling people to dream for or towards a single destination, often an occupation, and perhaps to broaden the tunnel a little bit more, a lifestyle. People envision where they might live, with whom they might live. But as had really captivated my curiosity when this idea flew into my head one day, I really think it's worth thinking about how we're going to be when we're older. Are we encouraged, whether intrinsically or extrinsically, to be kind or curious, patient or dutiful or responsible? Why is there this cultural narrative that's far more rooted in, again, typically an occupation? And I know there are listeners out there who will say, well, Kip, it's simpler, and we're teaching children or young people how to pursue a goal in the most basic terms that they will understand. And to that I would say sure, but that rhetoric tends to hold up as we get older. And I would also add that children are a lot more intuitive than we tend to give them credit for, and I think would understand ideas or principles to live by if we discussed them more often. And what's more, I would even say that it makes more sense to discuss with children the how as opposed to the what. If a child wants to become a doctor, are you really going to go through the effort of explaining medical school and residency and all that is actually involved with getting a profession in medicine? Wouldn't it on some level be easier to teach principles like patience or thoughtfulness? And isn't that what most children's programming is actually intended to do? The element of intuition when we're younger is something that people often claim is pigeonholed as you get older. And uh, I do think that having a distinct destination of what you're going to be rather than how you're going to be certainly feeds into that pigeonholing. I think it's also just a challenge that a lot of parents are faced with in fostering their kids um, and encouraging them to do what they want, how much freedom you give them versus how much structure you try and provide for them. So this element of structure versus freedom, it's something that parents are constantly evaluating. And I'm sure I, as a parent, if I do parent children, will be constantly evaluating. One thing I've learned with my first year out of school is just being way more conscious of these different tiers of awareness. You kind of iterate these frameworks that you work in in your life. And those are focusing, as you iterate them, you focus on how to live within each one. And that's a very longitudinal process that is constantly changing. 
And I think that is the journey that you speak to instead of a destination. And I do think American society, you know, the capitalistic nature of it and this idea of what success is, you have this very polarized view of success being money and tangible things that you can quantify versus success being the state of happiness. But people, when they bring up happiness in that conversation, I think they do a poor job of breaking down what that actually is. And in the last year, I think I've come more to that achievement of happiness being living in the state that you want to live, being able to reflect on the past, mainly focus your time and efforts on the present, and also look towards the future. But I think most Americans are not in the present as much as they should be. I guess that kind of brings me to one of the major breakdowns I wanted to do, which is I have found myself looking way more into the future with these big aspirations. I'm a very forward-driven person. And in the past year, I've been meditating much more. And that has brought me more into this state of being realistic about where I am and what I can achieve, given the time that I set aside for myself. And that has made me happier, frankly. People say they want to be happy, but I found it's a very obscure thing to try and nail down and achieve. And that's why I think so many people that I've interacted with tend to fall into the easier way of quantifying what success can be and focusing on the destination because it's an easier thing. You know, figuring out how we operate in different environments and how that thing changes. I've been thinking a lot about frameworks that you work with in college as a framework, high school as a framework. And my first year out of school, the framework was changing rapidly. I was changing jobs. I'm pursuing music, and it's a very volatile career in that sense, especially in its infancy. As I do that, it's just very important to take these moments of reflection where you realize what you've done, be grateful for that, but focus on where you are now, how you can be the best that you can be and improve the way you want to in a given amount of time within that framework. I think I'm darting a little bit around these different topics, but the thing I'm trying to get at is these frameworks that we work within, these destinations, so to speak, in terms of the journey and the destination, changing our destination is something that we inherently fear. And as the neuroscientist that I, you know, I don't necessarily identify as a neuroscientist now, but I have a bachelor's in neuroscience, and it's something I always keep in mind is that our brains are wired to fear change. That's why animals, they return to a place, they are trained to crawl into the corner and to seek safety. I think many of us do that same thing in not pursuing or focusing on the journey rather than the destination. That iteration of your framework that you're working within, whether you have a nine to five, whether you're trying to do freelance work, whether you got a promotion or whatever, you're iterating your framework and you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone into a position where you are fearful because that will drive you to do really what you inherently want to do but are afraid to do. And I think when you do that and you change your framework, it motivates you to focus more on where you are and how you're changing. How you are is a difficult thing to be present and conscious of. But that iterating framework and how you push yourself out of your comfort zone to get there, I think is a more important focus to have than a deliberate destination. To borrow a phrase you used for me, there's a lot to unpack in what you said, which I really love. I appreciate the mention of structure versus freedom, 
And you mentioned realism at one point, which I think is essential in this conversation. And finally, your remark that changing our destination is scary on an evolutionary and neurological level. I suspect that's one of the reasons that, over time, the idea of what you want to be has woven its way into our conversations with young people and even older individuals when we talk about our dreams on a first date or with family members. I think similarly, even if the question isn't what you want to be, we tend to think in terms of frameworks, as you said, or destinations. And so to work backwards through those three bullet points that really resonate with me, the fact that change is so scary inherently, even if to your point it can be really healthy and important in moving us to progress and to eventual growth, I suspect that element of fear is a primary reason that we don't discuss the journey or the method with people who are early on in life, because you don't want to introduce fear before you have to. Let them enjoy their youth. That feels like a kind thing to do. And I feel like dreams, when we don't think about their realism or their weight, can be softer and more uplifting and sources of hope. I think that's one reason that Disney, in particular, has a monopoly or at least a very huge market for uplifting films about heroes and heroines overcoming tremendous obstacles. Because we all want hope, and many of those protagonists accomplish dreamlike circumstances that a lot of us in corners of our hearts I'm sure envy to an extent. And those stories are easier to consider than struggles that we experience that don't work out. You mentioned the volatile music industry. A lot of people want a picture that their route to success is as easy as putting in hard work when, frankly, in any number of fields or industries, there are absolutely, and this hurts to say and it hurts to think about, ways in which you put in years or decades of hard work and are never discovered and do not succeed. And that's painful and that's crushing, but to come to the second point you had mentioned, that is also realistic. And there are, of course, ways in which we can live within reality, but we are still bound to its rules and to the way that reality operates. And that brings me finally to your first and I think most profound dichotomy between structure and freedom, which I think is a central tension in human society the world over. I see threads of that conflict in American culture, specifically in our politics, which is more valuable should we have great security or abundant freedom, and they are often at odds with one another. And I suppose from my bias, I see young people being asked what they want to be, and my immediate thought, although I hadn't originally verbalized it this way, is that there's an excess of structure there, that a child or a young person is being told to think in a very linear way when not everyone thinks or lives like that. Especially in the 21st century, I think it's common that people change their career paths and I suspect that much of that is motivated not only by our new technologies and opportunities, but by sincere desires to change one's path, maybe even a dream long forgotten or newly realized. And to that I would say that in my mind a danger, a word I'm wary of using casually, of a system that encourages us to think about what we want to be when we're older, is that when we're older, if we had a singular dream, and we either didn't accomplish it or didn't ever pursue it, then we might have a binary means of evaluating our lives. I didn't become a doctor when I planned to, so am I a failure? And to that person I would say, well, do you have fulfilling relationships? Do you have a different career that means a lot to you? Are you on the cusp of something impressive? Do you understand yourself in a fulfilling way? Do you have hobbies that bring you joy? Part of this topic that I find frustrating, but potentially uplifting depending on your perspective, 
is that this question or idea of what you want to be when you grow up or when you're older is such a limited view on the most limitless thing out there, which is existence itself. Within that, every fiction you've ever thought of or read, every song, every album, every game, movie, person, idea, everything. And obviously, a human being's trajectory is not limitless. I'm well aware of the realities there. But in between one and one trillion, I think a lot of us are thinking in the single digits when really our possibilities and opportunities, I suspect, are really more in the triple or quadruple digit range when you think about all that you're really capable of. And I don't mean that to be a soapbox. I do fully acknowledge the difficulties that people encounter, many of which I know I won't personally experience. But something about this question just really sticks with me. And so, Matt, though we're not at the end of the episode, I do want to say at this point that I'm grateful to sit down with someone who's willing to unpack and explore this with me. Kip, there's very few people on this planet that I would like to unpack this topic with, and you are absolutely one of them. I've always loved the podcast and how critically thinking you can be with all of these really engaging topics. So I was drawn immediately to talking about this one when you brought up such an open-ended thing. One of the words you were using is this idea of limitlessness. And when that was brought to mind, it kind of triggered something for me, which is I have to deal with something as abstract and big as trying to teach people how to improvise as a musician. And one of the approaches I take is I tell them limitlessness within limitations. The concept there is just the narrower you go, the more explorative you tend to be of yourself. And you tend to be less overwhelmed with all the options of what you can be. And you do focus on that perspective of how you are being. And another thing you were just talking about is if you try and boil down this concept of how versus what and the best perspective for you to take in your own life, some people need to have this what and this destination. And I believe we do all have a destination to some extent. But it's just a question of what level of presence we have in getting to that destination and what it means to us to achieve that destination. I, myself, absolutely lean more towards the side of how right now. I think that's in part because there is no end point for me with the career I've chosen, and it can go in so many different directions, as can anyone's. I don't consider mine to be a special case there. But I do think that... If you try and break it down in a systematic way to consider more if you fall on this what and destination-oriented side of things versus this how and journey side of things, I tend to go back to this topic of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm not sure how familiar you are with it. I'm actually blanking on a couple of them right now, but two of the biggest ones that I do keep in mind a lot is this feeling of belonging and this feeling of self-worth. And I find with a destination, there to be a single thing of achieving self-worth and a single thing of belonging, of achieving getting into med school or being part of this community or getting a promotion or having your band blow up or having your podcast rule the world, you know? But when you bring in these concepts of belonging and self-worth, I find those to be things that I think about more on a daily basis than a lifetime achievement. And because of that, those are things that have been proven scientifically, and I go to them because I know I can rely on them, and I find the how to be a much better way of evaluating those needs than the what. Or at least, maybe not better, because it might be more challenging for people to take that route. 
but I find that route to be more fulfilling and more motivating for me to pursue than the destination perspective. And to sort of bring that to a question for the audience that they can ask themselves right now is if someone came up to you and asked you, who are you, would you answer with your job? Would you answer with the role you play personally in other people's lives? Would you answer with a goal? Or would you answer with a past achievement of yours that distinguishes you from other people? I think all of those answers are viable, and I think everyone does get to those eventually, but I think what you answer with first is most revealing of what perspective you have. And for me, I would answer instinctively with my expertise as a musician, but then I would immediately transition to a goal, which is very much future-centered. I think I am a very future-centric person in how I operate, and I want to be more present. I get frustrated with how I haven't achieved this thing in the future, but I have broken it down in a way that on a weekly basis, I can be more conscious and happy of what I've achieved. That question of who are you and how you answer it from your gut, I think is very relevant to where you fall in that spectrum. And again, the how versus the what spectrum is a spectrum. It's not a black and white thing. And I'm not sure if I believe one of them is wrong or right in that sense because people evaluate success and achievement and how they grow in so many different ways and there's different ways that work for different people. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I'm not exactly the best at tying these things down and transitioning. Well, I'm really glad that you bring up wrong or right because it gives me a great opportunity to remind the audience that though I think this topic is important to think about and though I may certainly have a passionate view on the subject, I don't necessarily believe I'm right or that there is a right way to go about living. I think there are many ways to go about living, and I'm simply hopeful, as in any episode of this podcast, that people will consider alternative routes or means that they had not previously thought about. And I'm thrilled that you mentioned belonging and self-worth because a note I had made to myself that I wanted to come back to is the idea of the self as opposed to the group. And I suppose in my mind, one possible risk of a what or destination mentality is that people could primarily think about what their line looks like, not how it intersects with other people, not who they might hurt along the way in their climb, or what effect they might have on other people, even people they'll never meet on far-flung continents, where in my mind, and this is I'm sure idealized in many ways, the how route that might consider principles like thoughtfulness, patience, kindness, self-awareness, etc., though not entirely selfless or group-based, does touch upon ways in which we interact with others. You can certainly be kind to yourself, but I think most of us, when we hear about that trait or principle, are reminded of social experiences where one human being is kind to another or patient with another. And that's one reason that I think the how route is particularly appealing. Yes, I think this notion of the line and an individual's line that you just brought up, people tend to focus more on how they're living when they are part of a group or they have this higher perspective on how they're conducting themselves. A couple examples of this would be religion. You're serving a higher power and every action you do is controlled by something else above you or a community that you exist in with the church or wherever you practice. 
the notion that you're serving something else brings about a humbleness that I think enables you to focus more on how you are than what you are. A couple other examples would be a business. You're working for the business and not just your own personal success. And again, for me, just because of my obsessions that I have with music, whenever I perform, I find myself serving the higher thing of the music and my decisions and my motivations are all turned towards serving the music rather than indulging in myself. And I think that is a level of awareness that enables you to focus on how you are living rather than what you are striving to be. And with that, Matt, as this show and I are always striving to be curious and to inspire curiosity in others, before we close this episode, what are some things you'd like the audience to ponder a little bit further and reflect upon after listening to this conversation? I think the biggest one that I've been contemplating over the past year that I've found to be the most helpful is, to phrase it as a question, how much time do you spend being reflective, present, or aspiring towards something in the future? I have found myself to be happier when I focus most of my energy on being present. And I do take time to be reflective and acknowledge and analyze, really, in a sense, almost scientifically, what I've done, what I've achieved given the time that I set aside for it, the amount of time I've set aside for family and friends. And it's good to analyze that in a reflective way. And similarly, it's good to set yourself goals that push you. But I believe that you should spend most of your time being present. The question, I guess, to distill it is how much do you spend in each of those categories? My brain being something of a wanderer, as we've brought up two words in English that we associate with questions, what and how, a part of me is also interested in the other possibilities. I think the why are you is a common philosophical reflection. I'm not encouraging people to go there because I think many of us often do that naturally. But when it comes to when and where, as silly as that might sound to some people, because when are you in the future might not initially procure anything interesting, I do think if we thought more specifically about the years or decades in which we will live, we might plan differently. We might save money and say, well, if I do a budget and I expect to live to age 85 or 95 realistically, whatever it might be, given your health and other factors, you might look at the world differently if you thought about, to come back to a potentially silly question, when you are going to be. And similarly, that question could also be a reference to when you're going to be present or happy. Maybe some people have countdowns to things they'd like to accomplish. And I think that could be another interesting way of probing at how people envision themselves in a future they haven't yet experienced. On the where side of things, I think that's also quite valuable. We might not all be as mobile as we wish we were. Some of us have more socioeconomic opportunity to move about as we please. But there are others of us who feel trapped in certain locations or environments that I know dream to get out of those spaces. And I think the prospect of being somewhere else is particularly exciting for some people. And in the same way, Matt, you had mentioned fear as a motivator. I think a change of scenery can motivate a lot of people. And coming off this notion of who, what, where, when, why, to reiterate the question I asked earlier, I think a nice exercise to do, I haven't done it myself, but one that I would like to do maybe, is ask the who element, who are you, and notice how you list your answers based on your gut. And then evaluate where you think they fall on the spectrum of a destination or a journey. 
where they fall is not a determining factor or a judgment on yourself. It's just a reflective exercise to do that I think can help anyone acknowledge how they operate best and how they like to live their own life. And Matt, on the topic of aspirations and the lives we hope to cultivate, you had mentioned being a musician, and I'd love to send the audience your way if you wouldn't mind telling us a bit about projects you have or are currently working on. Sure, yeah. All of the projects I'm working on right now can be found on my website, which is just Matt Dibiase, D-I-B-I-A-S-E, music.com, mattdibiasemusic.com. The primary thing that I've devoted myself to is a project that incorporates principles of neuroscience and live electronic dance music performance, and it aims to remind everyone that they have creative potential in the audience and asks tailored questions to you and has you input different answers that can change the sonic environment that I improvise in. That project in particular is called Plexus Play. The primary place to find a lot of that content and information is on Instagram, Plexus Play, and that's also on my website as well. And I will, as always, link to that in the episode show notes. And to those of you listening, I highly encourage you to check Matt out. He's an amazing musician. And on that note, Matt, thank you today for your time, insights, and thoughts. It's been a pleasure. I knew it would be just as much a pleasure for me as well, Kip. Thanks for having me on. Of course, and I'm happy to hear it. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we're definitely not the only people who've ever been asked about our future in one way or another. So we'd love to hear what you think and have experienced. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes and pre-shows. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.